Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Worship God Podcast. I'm Jody Cross, and with me today is Rob Brockman and Pat Sabell. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, Jody. Hey, Jody. Good springtime is here, and uh, we're talking about some springy, cheery stuff. Uh, week 23, apparently. Uh, Rob, you put this was week 23, so we've been going a long time. Yeah. Wow. I feel like if we were in the same city, we should get together and grab a coffee and have a little celebration. 23 isn't really notable, though, is it? It just feels like a lot. Well, actually, I think our last episode marked the one-year anniversary of, of this podcast because we started it, I think, last April um, or May. So we're about the one-year mark. So I changed that. Coffee's in Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> summer on Pat. Let's do it. Yeah. I'll gladly pay if you'll come. <laughs> <laughs> we'll buy the ticket. You buy the coffee. It's all good. Yeah. Well, today we're talking about the power and the purpose of hymns. And some of you uh, grew up on hymns, some of you only grew up on hymns, some of you perhaps have not ever grown up on hymns, and we want to explore uh, just the gift that hymns are to the church, particularly as it relates to our worship, our vocabulary, our worship vocabulary, and what they say about God, and what hymns do in a worship service corporately to help us uh, focus our attention. We read in Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the Bible says right there, uh, right there in uh, Colossians chapter 3, that this is an important part of our vocabulary and we should be singing them to God. Really, hymns are a gift to the church. One of the things that is true of them is, is often they're hundreds of years old and they provide continuity with people of faith in the past. They have a, a real staying power. So along with the psalms of the church, Hymns have been a gift to the church and um, for hundreds of years that God's people have been singing. So we can almost hear them resonating uh, across the years. And uh, we want to define them today. We'll do that in a second. And just ask the question as we go through this podcast, are we in danger of losing them? Uh, are we in danger of forgetting the importance of them? And, and uh, what is the future of hymns? So let's define it. Rob, I'm going to throw it over to you. I know you've been digging in a little bit of this and some New Testament examples. So from a musical point of view, what's a hymn? How is it different maybe than a chorus? And biblically, how would you define a hymn in terms of what it's focusing on? Yeah, I think there's some simple things that make it sound, make it seem very different. You can usually tell when you're singing a hymn versus when you're singing a chorus. Um, think of a hymn, often they really feel like poems, right? With multiple stanzas. Um, they typically have a lot more content than, than a, a typical chorus or modern worship song. Um, lyrically, they're also, they're kind of big picture, big theology kind of stuff a lot of the time. Uh, not that that's better or worse. I mean, we're called to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but that's one of the strengths. One of the strengths is that we're really unpacking, we're really diving deep um, in, into these rich ideas of God and unpacking them which is, which is great. Um, some of the language just specifically because they're older can be kind of hard. You know, sometimes people will, you know, you'll listen like a sit, like I think of a hymn, like praise ye the Lord, the almighty, like when have you said ye in the last few years? So like, you'll have some of that language, um, which some people consider kind of a, an obstacle. I've never felt that way. I kind of like singing that stuff, but uh, you know, a lot of people will rewrite hymns to have more modern language. Um, but Historically, hymns were used to really help people memorize important theology and doctrine surrounding Christ, especially in the New Testament. Um, hymns were written in the New Testament for that 
purpose with their because you have this Christianity exploding on the scene. Well, we need we need we need songs that teach us about Jesus because as humans, God has made us this way that music kind of really resonates with us. And there's actually a couple of hymns in the Bible. Um, scholars generally believe that Philippians two five to eleven, which is the part that says you know have this in the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't account. Um, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself that bit of scripture. A lot of scholars will say that that was an early hymn. It's an early creed and a hymn that they, people, the church would sing and repeat to memorize this Christology, this doctrine of Christ. As well, Colossians 1, again, the same kind of focus. He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. That is talking about Jesus, Christology. And so these were generally considered to be hymns, early, early hymns of the church. There's also something that I did a, I wrote a paper on it in, in my master's, which is called the Odes of Solomon. And it's actually a second, third century book of Psalms, Christological Psalms that were written in the, by the early church. And scholars believe that these were like, they were using these songs in their liturgy and essentially they're, they're Psalms, but they're written from a Christian perspective, written about Christ. And so it kind of gives us a glimpse into like the song book of the early church. So hymns, hymns were written really to help people learn doctrine about Jesus, the early church, learn this doctrine, get it into our heads, get it into our hearts, get it onto our lips. So they serve a very specific focus. They are more concerned with kind of getting doctrine um, into our hearts. And that's why you use predictable melodies that are repeated hymns for four or five, six, seven lines, same melody, maybe a little chorus in there. It's really to help it get it into our heads. And, and that's why they use these repetitive, repetitive melodies like, like poetry. So they're really amazing and they suit a really specific purpose in the church, helping us learn doctrine through these repetitive melodies and rich, rich theology. Mm, that's good. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was uh Worship Leader Magazine had a feature on those Odes of Solomon mm-hmm. and someone who'd actually written an album on some of those songs. So mm. I don't know if that ever went anywhere, if it caught fire, but uh, I remember someone attempted to. Well, as we talk about talk about hymns, Pat, do you have a, a favorite hymn, Rob, I'm going to ask you to? Um, yeah. You know, there's America's, uh, Canada's top 50 hymns. What, what would be one, of, one or two of uh, favorite hymns for you guys? Oh man, I think mine for sure would be um, "It Is Well with My Soul." Uh, you know, thinking of uh, Horatio Spafford and um, just the story of losing a a young son to pneumonia mm. early on. Uh, the same year, I think the Chicago Fire were uh, most of his business, or I think his business was burnt down. Uh, a couple years later, losing four daughters on their trip over to Europe from from uh, New York or from the States, wherever they were coming from. Um, you know, the whole story of him heading over there and the captain saying it was right here where your where your daughters, you know, mm. where, where the ship went down and and him writing those lyrics there when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. I was thinking, um, you know, one thing that I'm convinced about is I want to sing songs in my church that inform people's devotional life. 
um, it's crazy, but, uh, you know, Jody, you're a, you're a lead pastor. So you know how, how much investment goes into uh, sermon prep every week. Uh, most people forget what you preached about by, by Monday, Tuesday, by Wednesday, for sure. It's all gone. Um, but, but here's a song that we can sing in our church. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking, I think it was about 12 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with MS and I was sitting in the Regent college, uh, cafeteria. She was across the street at the UBC, the, uh, MS clinic. And, um, she texted me and she said, I, I have, it's confirmed. I have MS. And I just remember, you know, that Sunday us singing, it is well with my soul. <clears throat> and, um, I, it was, it was, it was those kind of moments where, where I was sitting in the, the, the Regent, uh, cafeteria, the bookstore area, having a coffee and just thinking, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, you know, mm-hmm. and then thinking about my greatest need has already been met in Christ. Mm-hmm. If I was to never get another uh, blessing in this life, uh, you know, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. You know, Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. Uh, the sky will be rolled back as a, as a cloud or uh, sky rolled back as a. The clouds be right back. back. Scroll. scroll. Yeah. yeah. Trumpet will sound. The Lord will descend. So I, mm. there's just, those songs do something. They teach us. They, they inform us. They inform people's devotional lives that, Hey, Hey, it's wonderful sitting in church on Sunday and singing together, but who knows what awaits us on Sunday afternoon or, or Monday or Thursday or Friday. And I want, I want to be feeding my people stuff that that has substance and content in the middle of hey your wife was just diagnosed with ms that you can say whatever my lot you've taught me to say Mm. you know my greatest need our greatest need has been met in jesus and so that's Mm. that's why it's my favorite hymn and that was way too long to to (laughs) so that just underscores the point that you know they're rooted deeply in our hearts and experience. And I think, Rob, I'm going to get you to do that in a second. Tell us, but, you know, we are, we're of the age, there's people that were older than us, a generation ago, uh, that's all they knew. They had a hymn book of 700 hymns, and that's, that was it for the most part. We grew up, Pat, you and I, when choruses were coming in, and the hymn book was in one hand of the, you know, the uh, scripture and song book, or whatever the, the song book was, that the chorus book. We had two books in our hand. And now, Rob, your world is, is a whole different world. But, um, the one thing I, I do know that hymns are rooted in our experience in a way that is different, I think, than modern modern courses. And um, I love what you said that uh, they they inform our devotional life. And I think they also, I want to sing those songs in the morning when I wake up, when I need a good word, when I need to remind myself of God's faithfulness or his praise or the gift of the day. I'm My mind's going, what hymn can I sing in the morning when I wake up? And I, I also want to grab one of these songs I want these songs to be there when I'm on my deathbed or when someone I love is dying because there's something that is so weighty. Rob, you talked about the, the content and and the anchor and just the weightiness, the theological and the glory weightiness of these songs. I want I want some of those songs to be anchoring my faith and giving lift to my praise in those moments. Mm. Rob, what's your uh, what's one of your one or two of your favorites? And and I'll just to add to that, I think that's the point of doctrine and theology. It's not just cool. I know this. 
it's for that. It's when my wife is diagnosed or when I'm diagnosed that quick to my mind, I remember these truths and these promises. I've been reading Richard Sibbs, a great Puritan, and he talks about how one of the ways that we can fight our hearts being troubled is by recalling to mind the promises of God. And that's what these hymns do. They, they bring, what is it as well, but just doctrine about God's sovereignty over all things. That's what it is. Well, that's meant to comfort us. It's not meant to be just head knowledge. Um, one, one of my, I'm going to give you two, one of my favorite older hymns, so we're talking 1800s, you know, written. It's got to be crown him with many crowns. I just love, love, love that song. It starts off talking about crown with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy mattress king throughout eternity. It goes on to talk about Jesus and the cross, just a glorious anthem of Christology and what Christ has done in our atonement, just to, and, but also Christ's kingship, which is awesome. But my favorite modern hymn is uh, actually Reformation Song by Bob Coughlin and Tim Chester. It is an outstanding song that goes through the solas. And um, you can't really find, you can find it on YouTube. There's like an acoustic version and then it's on one of their T4G albums, just like a piano version. But I created like a full band kind of huge, big version of that song. It's one of my favorite songs to sing. It's just such a great, it talks about, you know, the solas and man, great modern hymn that I believe has got some staying power because it kind of hits all those mm. boxes for me. Jody, what about you? Um, boy, it's tough. I think uh, how great that art. Mm. I was on a run or a walk something recently and, and I came on my Spotify playlist and I just really reappreciated it, really reappreciated how great thou art. That's, you know, I think that's one that if anyone was ever to a Billy Graham crusade or a Promise Keepers event, you probably remember hearing that song sung by thousands of voices. And the, the story about that one is a Swedish pastor who was caught in a lightning, thunder, lightning storm and realized the, the awesome power of God and wrote that song. I love the way that it turns to Christ. And I, I love the way it tells us about our home going. And that, that is one of the features of many hymns, mm. that the final verse, whether it's verse 3, 4, or 5, it turns the corner from the trials and the troubles of this life to, you know, uh, you know, Pat, even it is well with my soul. Lord, haste the day, my faith will be sight. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, how great mm. thou art. Take me home. Mm. And I suspect that the take me home versions or verses on hymns are going to become more important to people in the next number of years. Mm. For a long time, we've lived like our citizenship is on earth only, but troubles and trials stir up this longing for our eternal home. Mm -hmm. and hymns will, will play that role. So how great thou art. And then I, I just love, uh, this is a new favorite of mine and they change, but guide me, O thou great Jehovah, or guide me, O thou great redeemer, pilgrim through this barren land. I'm weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand, bread of heaven, Feed me till I want no more. And there's a sense, that's the Pilgrim's Progress motif, that we're on this journey and we need the strong hand of, of a good God to, to guide us through this pilgrim, or this barren land as, as pilgrims. So lots lots of good stuff there. And um, I don't know if people are commenting on, a, on the comment page. Send us in what your favorite hymns are. We'd love to hear uh, the title and maybe even a, a little a bit why that's something that resonates mm -hmm. with you. So, again, I remember growing up, there was, uh, there was hymn books in the pews. 
Something happened in the mid-90s that we got rid of pews, and a lot of churches ditched their hymn books. Do you remember those days? I remember stacks of hymn books that probably cost $25 a piece a few years before. They were in the ditch, and uh, people were tossing them out. Pretty tragic. I'm thankful that we still sing them on the screen, but I guess I want to ask you the question in terms of your experience. Do you feel like we're in danger of losing hymns? Are they becoming extinct, or are they becoming slightly marginalized? Uh, are we losing this part of our spiritual worship vocabulary? And I would say not if we can help it. Um, I think there should be a, a real desire in in us to uh, to train to communicate as clearly and as loudly as we can to the next generation um, the importance of of hymns. You know, I was thinking. Uh, in, in Charles Spurgeon's day, I think it was like grade six was memorizing the entire book of Psalms and the catechism. And not, not so long ago in a, a worship team meeting at a church, uh, I had asked them to, uh, to read uh, A.W. Pink's book on the attributes of God. And, and that uh, when we gathered, we would be talking about this book and, I had um, I had uh, we we started talking about one of the chapters and and um, many people in that group just put up their hands and go I don't I don't even really understand this book I don't even know what he's saying and and I, I was just kind of blown away I mean it's old English but it's just attributes of God and it was it's it's amazing like I uh, I I I didn't even really know what to say. And I think there's something in this culture and in this day that just downplays the, the need for doctrine. Mm. Um, it's all about the here and now and, and the show and making, making great arrangements and, you know, looking at, looking the part and playing the part, but it's, it's lacking in substance. And so uh, I, I say, whether it's a, a worship course or, or a contemporary song, or it's a, an older hymn. I, I want to be proclaiming the message. <laughs> it really, it, it, what's important is that we, we love sound doctrine. We love theology. Mm. We love, and I don't care what age you're at. Um, you, you need to be leaning in to loving the scriptures and letting the scriptures dwell in you richly. And, um, and, and I think hymns do that well. I think modern hymns do that well. You know, a song like Before the Throne of God Above, um, boy, if you, if you need the gospel preached to you and you wake mm -hmm. up one morning and you're more aware of your sin and your failing and your struggle, and you start to sing when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, I see him there. He made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God. The just is satisfied to look on him and part of me. There is not a song out there in a contemporary worship song. I don't think that gets even close to that. And um, I I've, I've been in a conference and led that song and people come rushing the stage, young people and go, where did you get that song? <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to be on a mission with you guys to say to young people, Hey, this stuff mm. is important and don't, don't, 
don't be this one who just wants to simplify everything and make everything simple. No, use your brain. God gave you a brain to use it. Engage your heart and your mind in loving Jesus and knowing Jesus. And boy, um, sing, sing songs that, that, that tell us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Hmm. Yeah. I think there is a, seems, seems like everybody leans towards like, okay, I'm, you know, like we read Colossians at the beginning, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Well, some people say, oh, we should sing our hymns because worship is only doctrine. And I think that's false. I, don't, I think, or I think that's oversimplistic. Um, but then some people only want to sing spiritual songs because worship is just about uh, me. It's about me experiencing something. And I think that's generally today the danger that I think I see a lot of the, the young worship music, music movement falling into, which is very much an us-focused, me-focused, experience-focused, where we're forgetting that all worship is meant to be declaring truth about God. It's meant to be declaring the story talking about our salvation, declaring these things um, that edify one another and glorify the gospel in Jesus. And so I do see a drift and almost like a pride in a lot of young worship pastors um, who just don't want to, oh, I don't want to be so wordy. Like, let's just sing, you know, a couple words over and over and over and over and repeat them and repeat them. And that's worship. And it's, it's almost like stirring ourselves up into a, a frenzy as opposed to actually dwelling and saying things that are meaningful and teaching our hearts and teaching one another. And I'm teaching my, that, that lady across the street when I'm singing, um, you know, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace, man, I'm encouraging Jody. And like, uh, this is the, this is the beautiful thing about worship. And it's just all very the dangers have become very much about me and my experience with God. And I think that has a place in devotional worship, worship. Like I have like Spotify playlists at my house that I listen to that I wouldn't dream of singing a lot of those songs Sunday morning. Uh, I wouldn't sing them in church, but they minister to my heart and my personal devotional times. And they're great in terms of worship between me and God, but we're talking about congregational worship. And I, I, I just think a lot of our young people need to, I'm not saying go back and let's just dig up all these prairie hymns. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of these hymns. A lot of them aren't good. What we're talking about are the good ones that teach the gospel, that teach Jesus, that have these great melodies. They get stuck in our heads and they teach us and they teach us till we're on our deathbed. And I think we need to not turn our nose down at that. We get, like Pat said, we got to see the value of that. We got to kill the pride that says we know better. And we got to kind of link ourselves to our heritage, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember being, you know, a young leader. And uh, one of the things my senior pastor said to me, and I was 24 at the time, he, he wanted, and he was just a young guy too. He said, we need to sing more hymns. So it was when everything old was, was suspicious or there was suspicion about everything old. And he was wanting, again, everything to um, to revolve around some richness and some depth. Yeah. Even then, he was giving the call for that. Um, and, you know, but as a young person, novelty is, is fun and it's exciting and pop culture. And there's a comparison. I saw it in a book. I think it's in the back of this uh, book by Barry Leash um, called The New Worship. But he just talks about the new versus the old. And there's a comparison chart that that choruses are new and they don't have real lasting power you know just think for a moment about 
a song that you sang a lot, probably potentially Mighty to Save as an example. Yeah. Too long ago, but now we don't sing it anymore. Nobody wants to sing it anymore. Shine, Jesus, shine. No one ever wants to sing that again. But Great is Thy Faithfulness, we could we'll be singing this for the next hundred years. So there's something about there's something about their enduring power because of the function, and I think God's God's hand upon them. And I in response to the question, are they in danger? I think they are. I think they are because I was teaching guitar lessons, and this was to some non-Christians, and I started to sing. You know, Silent Night, I was teaching them some chords and Silent Night, or I think it was that song. And this this 12-year-old boy who I was teaching guitar lessons to had never heard of Christmas carols or Silent Night. And I realized there's a whole, you know, how easy it is for things to become extinct. Now, that's a Christian, you know, mainstream uh, divide, perhaps. But even in the church, how easy it is to go, all we know is Hillsong or all we know is whatever. And we don't know about these great hymns of the faith. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's it uh, behooves us to number one, as Pat, you were imploring, just for us as leaders to actually teach not only the next generation of worship leaders, but the current congregations that sit in front of us what these songs should be, uh, but also that we continue to uh, to sing them so that they're preserved and uh, to continue to mine mine the golden nuggets out of them. Um, you know, and and if someone is going, this is new for me. And this is just a brand new thing, and I'm convicted, and I think, wow, I should learn some of these these old hymns of the faith. Start small. You know, there are, as I said, hundreds of hymns that were in any of the hymn books that you could still find around. But go for the first 15 or 20 that are the gold of the gold nuggets. Mm. You know, we've, we've mentioned a few of them already. And uh, you can even Google top 25 hymns of the faith, and you're going to find just some great, great songs there. Amazing Grace is one of them. We've mentioned a bunch of them. But... Start and make yourself a list. What, what are the top 20 or 25 hymns that my church should know, that I should know? And if you've got 25, then blow it up. Go to 50 and uh, begin to make sure your congregation learns them and is singing them. Yeah, uh, I would just say, Jody, one thing to guard against for the younger person maybe listening is that old is bad. Um, and a lot of times we just kind of feel like we're cutting edge and we want to do something fresh and creative. Um, but let, let's not lose sight. It's, it's the well-worn paths of the church that have, we've been singing these songs. You know, I, I just was, I writ, wrote some of these songs down. Um, that, that's just, it's crazy. Holy, 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 1861, mm -hmm. the solid rock, 1863, amazing grace, 1772, uh, and can it be in the 1700s? You know, when I survey the wondrous cross, 1707. <laughs> I mean, well, a mighty fortress is our God, Martin Luther. You know, like. yeah, yeah. I mean, at, there's just something I think in this this day and age where young people are thinking this this stuff is. You know, we could do better. We could come up with fresher and more creative. And I would just say, you know, it's it's like the analogy might might be like having IKEA furniture. Uh, and then going down in your basement, you find a, a section in your basement that you didn't even know existed. And, and it, you inherited this house from your great, great grandfather. And you start, you open this door and in, in that room is furniture from 
you know, 150 years ago or something. And, and it's just beautiful furniture. It, it might need a, a sand or a, a something to, to bring it back to life, but it's, it's going to last. It's lasted already, but it's going to last far longer than your Ikea furniture. And everybody loves Ikea furniture and, and, and just trying to put that together and then, and to take it apart and try to sell it when you want to get it out of your house. Um, so I would just say, man, these things have, past the test of time and um and we need to lean in and say there's just something special about this uh and god wants us to to take it serious and and figure out these songs and and learn them and you know add a course to it if you want to do do something um but let, let's 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 preserve them and let's keep letting these songs teach us and i would i would add to that that a lot of worship guys that i know um they have this idea that, well, people won't be drawn to our church. Like new people don't want to sing these old hymns. And it's almost like, you know, who's running your bus? Like you're like, aren't you running the bus? Like you're going to let the people in the back run it for you. Like you're going to let the sheep dictate to you how you're going to lead them. Like it's your job to be a leader. It's your job as a parent. You don't give your kids KD every night. No, I'm not a parent, but I'm assuming that you would not give your kids, even if they ask for it, you got to give them a healthy diet. And that's going to include the corn or the spinach that they don't want to eat. Well, it's the same with our church. You're, you're responsible by giving people about for giving people a balanced diet. And a lot of the time I find a lot of worship guys just want to appeal. They just want to get people in the door and they think, that the modern, I just find it funny that they think that the modern contemporary worship sound is somehow so appealing to the unbeliever that they'll want to come in. Like, I just don't even think like the style of modern worship isn't, I don't hear that anywhere. Like, is that how you're going to get, you think you're going to get your unbelieving person come in because you have a synth and electric guitar player? Like, so why well, let's instead teach our church. Let's show them a better way. Let's include a balanced Colossians three diet that has everything. And let's not assume that, oh, just contemporary worship is going to draw a lot of people to your church. Maybe it might, but are these going to be anemic people who are only eating KD every night? We want to give people a balanced, rich diet, and they, they may not be able to understand what that is, and you do. So I would encourage you to feed them the whole diet and don't just give them the nice bits. Give them what they need. Give them the richness. Yeah. Um, that's important. And I love I love to put it this way. When I think about what's on the, the musical plate of a congregation on a Sunday morning, I call it uh, the timely, which is the new, uh, the tested, um, and the timeless. You know, the timeless are those songs, 1527, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That's, that's pretty timeless. Uh, and then there's the timely songs that we write or that are brand new, that our congregation goes, that is so fresh and so helpful. And there's the tested songs. That would be the ones that have been around for a while, maybe not brand new and maybe not as old. So we have three different things on our plate, all they're functioning differently. And, you know, in terms of feeding our minds, feeding our hearts, an expression of gratitude, focusing on the, the gospel. We've spent lots of uh, discussions about that gospel shaped singing and gospel shaped liturgies. And so let's be wise on what's on the, the musical plate that we serve up for our congregations. Let's let's make sure there's hymns in every service. And let's make sure we pick great hymns and 
explain things like Ebenezer when we sing uh, Come Now Fount of Every Blessing. You know, explain some of the, the language that might be, what's a bulwark, okay? Uh, you know, yeah. mighty fortress. We got to get around some of those little things, but they're easy. And and we've done this already in this podcast, but um, tell the stories. Tell the stories of why these hymns were written and inspire people uh, and just in terms of to relate them to their own experience. Natasha wrote in and she said uh, she loves Be Still My Soul. Uh, she mm-hmm. loves this kind of this lamenty feel just re- that reminds her that God is always in control. Thanks, Natasha, for, for doing that. And that's a great tune, like that melody. I guess it's a pretty, pretty, that's a stickable melody. You know, it gets in your head and it stays there. And that's a song that's especially uh, important to me. We sang that at my dad's funeral five years ago. Mm. And uh, there was a, an artist who put uh, a chorus to that, In You I Trust, In You I Find My Hope. Yeah. Um, you'll never let me go. So there are there are ways that definitely, as we've already said, we can freshen up and modernize these hymns, some of them, and some of them probably we shouldn't touch. <laughs> holy, 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 you know, as an example, great is thy faithfulness, there's not much left to do. They're, they're winners as is. Um, so we're out of time today, and uh, we may we may come back and do a part two. We'll, we'll talk offline and find out. We'd love to hear your comments about hymns. Send those in to us. Tell us uh, the power of hymns in your own life and your congregation and how you maybe are fighting to make sure that they maintain a place in the worship life of your congregation and uh, how you're growing in, in learning hymns yourself. And we commend you. I'm going to give you guys the last word in a second here, but those of you who are leading and responsible for, for planning services, one of the things that I've just told some of the guys in our church, make sure every service, and we're down to we're down to three songs while we're, we're live streaming and recording our stuff because we're in lockdown currently. But out of the three songs that we sing, I said to the guys, at least one of those songs needs to be a hymn. Make sure that that piece of musical vocabulary is in the mix every single Sunday for, for lots of reasons, many of that we've talked about already today. Uh, Rob, over to you. Then, uh, Pat, you can have the final, final word. Yeah, I would just say, you know, I think a lot of young guys, a lot of people will... Um, you know, they don't do hymns because they feel like, um, you know, there's a, there's a portion of their church family that wants to sing hymns, you know, the older generation. And they feel like, oh, I don't want to give in to peer pressure. Like, I don't want to give in to the, like, I don't want to be forced to sing. I don't want to be controlled by people to sing. I want to be able to choose songs. And I would just point out that you're probably also, you're probably being forced and giving in to playing a lot of contemporary songs because you want to please young people. So let's not like, we're, let's not do that either. Let's, let's try to, again, give a well-balanced diet. Let's not try to appease young, the young fam, cool families. Let's just do what makes them happy. Just like we shouldn't be just trying to do, we should try to serve our church. We should try to serve everyone. And we should also understand that they need a bit of everything. And um, I think that that's just essential. Like I, I, I don't, I, I would, I, whenever I walk into a church and I, and I see that I can kind of picture you, you see a real heart behind the worship leaders where we're trying to feed everyone in our church. And I think that's just such a beautiful, wonderful image. We're a family. We're gathering around the table. Um, let's, let's feed everyone. Yeah. And I was that young guy that just thought that everything old was, was not really worth paying any attention to uh, about 20, 23 years ago. 
I was introduced to a little book called uh, Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers. And I realized quite quickly that I didn't even know how to pray. Mm. Uh, when I when I compared the prayers of of these Puritans to my praying and um, and then and then uh, I was encouraged to read dead guys um, and and I would say that to people listening in if if you kind of you know go into the Christian bookstores I don't even know if they exist anymore maybe just online whatever you're reading I'd say I'd say find some dead guys. Um, they, they just had a way of saying things better. Charles Spurgeon, <laughs> um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, you name them. There's, there's some great Richard Sibbs. There's Thomas Watson. There's, you name it, John Owen, mm. uh, but read these guys and, and you'll, you'll find a, a growing desire and, and, mm-hmm. and need to want to, to be more articulate and clear in, in what you're putting before your church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then you start to realize that these, these hymns do a great job of that. Um, so I, I love, I, I write songs and I write, uh, I've written modern hymns and I've written worship courses. Um, and, and I would say with Rob, I think they're all good, but I would say, let's, let's make sure that we're feeding our church a healthy diet mm. of, of just objectively proclaiming the truth. This is God. Can you see him, his bigness, his greatness? And, uh, and then our response to that. So there mm-hmm. you go. Yeah, Amen. good. Shepherding, uh, I would end with this idea that when we plan services and pick music and lead them, we're fulfilling a shepherding role. We're feeding the flock. Jesus said to take care of them, to lead them, to feed them. What these guys have said, yes and amen. Feed them with a good diet. Lead them to a great and transcendent God. And make sure you're feeding them good food. I close with Matthew 13, 52. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Mm-hmm. And church, we have this treasure chest of good old nuggets of of gifts from God that God has deposited in the church through people he's chosen uh, to have these experiences and to write these songs that the church has loved and sung and and they've prayed them and they've worshiped through them and we have them so let's not Mm -hmm. neglect them let's continue to lift them and put them in the hearts minds and mouths of people in this generation and by our leadership with the kids who are going to hear them in church and then we'll we'll take them and and lead them in the next generation to come. So thanks, everybody. Send us your comments. Thanks for listening today. The power and the purpose of hymns. God bless you. We will see you next time. Thanks, guys.